Welcome new and old friends, and happy Halloween week. This week we'll have a video every other day for you guys. And today we start with three horror stories. And please remember to leave a review if you're able to. Now, with all that being said... Turn off your lights, make sure your doors and windows are locked. Things are about to get spooky. The Haunting of Hotel Nama by Trick Organization 42 Once upon a time in a small town shrouded in darkness, there lived a young boy named Ethan. Tragedy had struck his life when the devastating fire engulfed his family's home, leaving him as the sole survivor. Haunted by the memories of that fateful night, Ethan was determined to find his family, or at least some answers in the eerie Hotel de Ma. Rumors whispered through the town about the hotel's sinister past, but Ethan's desperation overshadowed any fear he felt. Armed with a flickering flashlight and a heavy heart, he stepped into the hotel's dimly lit lobby. The air was thick with unsettling silence as if the walls themselves held secrets. As Ethan ascended to the first floor, he noticed peculiar paintings lined the hallway, each portrait depicting a family, their eyes hollow and their smiles twisted into sinister grins. Unease crept up his spine, but he pressed on, determined to uncover the truth. On the second floor, the atmosphere grew colder, and the flickering lights cast eerie shadows on the peeling wallpaper. Ethan's heart raced as he stumbled upon a dusty room filled with old photographs. To his horror, he recognized his own face in each picture, but the people surrounding him were strangers. Confusion and fear consumed him, but he couldn't turn back now. With trembling hands, Ethan reached the third floor, where the air grew heavy with suffocating darkness. The sound of distant whispers echoed through the corridor, sending chills down his spine. As he cautiously opened a creaking door, he found himself in a room filled with mirrors. But these mirrors were different. They reflected not his physical appearance, but his deepest fears and insecurities. The fourth floor beckoned Ethan with a foreboding presence. The walls seemed to close in on him, and the floorboards groaned beneath his weight. In a room at the end of the hallway, he discovered a dusty journal. Its pages were filled with his own handwriting, detailing his darkest thoughts and secrets. Panic consumed him as he realized that someone had been watching him, documenting his every move. Summoning every ounce of courage, Ethan ascended to the fifth and final floor. The air grew thick with malevolence and the flickering lights cast eerie shadows that danced along the walls. In a room at the end of the hallway, he found a locked door. Desperation fueled his determination and he searched for a key. Finally, in a forgotten corner, Ethan discovered a rusty key hidden beneath a decaying carpet. 
With trembling hands, he unlocked the door, revealing a room filled with photographs of his family. Tears streamed down his face as he realized the truth. His family had perished in the fire that claimed their home. But the horror didn't end there. As Ethan turned to leave, he caught a glimpse of his reflection in the cracked mirrors. His eyes were hollow. His smile twisted into a sinister grin. The hotel had consumed him, revealing the darkness that lay dormant within his soul. In that moment, Ethan understood the hotel was not just a place of nightmares, but a manifestation of his own inner demons. He had not only lost his family, but also himself in his relentless pursuit of answers. Trapped within the hotel's walls, he would forever wander, a ghostly reminder of the horrors that lurked within. I was a horrible person to my mother-in-law, and three years ago on her deathbed, she cursed me and swore she would pay me back from the afterlife. Today, my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter inquisitively asked me, Hey, Dad, remember when I was the older one and you were the young, mean one? Church Road by Pentrum Mean a rookie, you come across the usual hazing you would get from the local police, but this place I was transferred to from the city was a big change being a small town, so it wasn't that kind of place to haze. The officers I worked with and the friends I made were all pretty laid back, and I hate to say this, but lazy and weren't really police at all. Not because of their laziness. I couldn't blame them for that. It was the fact that the town I landed in was awfully quiet with nothing really going on. Really nice town folk with no grudges to outsiders. Welcoming with open arms, which was kind of creepy at first, but... I guess I was just used to getting mean-eyed by city people for the first three years of being an officer. So my first month being here didn't feel like a job at all. The usual calls would be about escaped animals from a barn or punk kids hanging around late at night getting drunk. Nothing violent at all, which was nice pace, but very much boring. October 31st was something I hadn't experienced here, and what I was told, the kids liked to hang around this old road. Church Road, it was called. It was this one road that led to an old abandoned funeral home, which was basically a mansion. One road in, one road out, and not to mention the bridge that you would have to cross on to get to the funeral home. It was basically an island with rough waters that not even a canoe would get anyone near it, which was a good thing. So Halloween night, I was posted at the edge of Church Road, just at the bridge, which was surrounded by old dead trees, and yeah, it was pretty eerie since all the other trees before Church Road were covered with leaves. It was literally like a wasteland of thick blackness all the way down the road, and I could see why the young ones would want to hang around here for a thrill. 
I sat around the bridge, keeping an eye open, and turned away a few kids trying to pass by. But other than that, nothing much happening. I had begun to fall asleep in the car, which I couldn't let happen, so I decided to step out and stretch my legs and have a cigarette just to pass the time. I sat on the back of the trunk facing down this creepy wooden bridge and could see down the road almost clearly. A few street lamps leading to the mansion, which was barely visible with the wind howling slightly, like something straight out of a horror movie. I scoffed at the idea of something creepy happening and imagined someone walking towards me from across the bridge and gave myself the creeps. I shook my head and flicked my cigarettes laughing off my nervousness and turned to walk back to the driver's side door. Just as I put my hand on the handle, I took one last look through my peripheral vision and could actually see a figure walking at the end of the bridge. I quickly pulled out my flashlight inside, thinking one of the punk kids managed to get by me. I started walking towards this person as they walked closer and yelled, Come on, you can't be out here, it's not safe. Now get back to this side and get home. Shining my flashlight down on the wet wooden beams below my feet and shining it up towards the person. You mind? That's a little bright. I pointed the light downwards and approached the person, and he both stopped in the middle of the bridge. Cold night, isn't it? The person says, and I nod my head in agreement. Yeah, it really is. But sir, you can't be here. These premises are off limits at all times. We get too many vandals and such around this time. The person stared at me with a confused gaze. Oh, is that right? But I live just up this road. I haven't seen any vandals around. I looked at him confused myself and looked around. Sir, no one has lived around here for years, especially not at the funeral home, and I'm pretty sure that's the only place around here for miles. The man smiles and turns his head as I turn my head behind me, hear another car pull up, and I see another deputy arriving. Can you come with me and we'll talk with my friend over here and sort this out? The man nods his head and we both walk towards the car coming around the corner, and we stop as he stops right in front of us. I wave my flashlight as I look at him through the windshield and he gestures at me hastily as he rolls down his window. Get in the car now! I look at him confused. What is it? I turn to look at the man who walked beside me to see what he was giving as a reaction. But as you guess what had happened, he was gone. I panicked and quickly got in the car and we drove off leaving my car behind and didn't bother to look back. The whole drive back to town was the scariest silence I had ever experienced and didn't bother to ask what had happened because even so, I was still in disbelief about the whole thing. When we got back to the station, I went straight in and locked up my belt and such in my locker and clocked out. The deputy that picked me up sat at his desk and threw an old picture on the desk without saying a word. I leaned down to see the same man who I was talking to and, well, I just couldn't comprehend the situation. The deputy looked at me with the straightest face and rested his hands on the table. I see you met my grandfather. I looked at him and shook my head. I don't know what you're talking about. Nothing happened. 
He smirked. My grandfather was one of the last people to own that funeral home. It was in my family for the longest time. But for some reason, people went missing on that island. Not only people, but the bodies of the dead as well. So, it was shut down and my grandfather apparently even made it out himself. Something went on there, but no one really knows what happened. No one wants to find out because they're afraid they'll go missing. So next time, maybe if you are posted or have to go there, stay off the bridge. I took a deep breath and agreed to his warning, and it was at that moment I found out the dark history about this quiet town. Maybe that was why it was so quaint. A few times after that, I had to escort a few of the kids off the road, but I never crossed the bridge myself because of the fear of seeing that man again. Other than that, I never took the night shift of the church road ever again. I squeezed my wife's hand as the image of triplets appeared on the sonogram's monitor. Mr. Jones, I really don't know what to say, the doctor exclaimed while my wife smiled, pupils narrowing, and I gripped my distended belly. Don't go into impossible houses by Dr. Blackjack 21. With Halloween season approaching, I decided to get this warning out to everyone I could reach. If you ever come across a haunted house that shouldn't be there, don't go inside. This haunted house pops up between two other houses you already know. It won't be squeezed in like someone built a new house in the middle of these two plots, but rather, It'll be fit in like the whole place was designed that way. It'll be like the street had already been a few hundred feet longer than you remember. If such a house appears out of nowhere, do not approach it. Do not knock on the door. And whatever you do, do not cross the threshold. Once you do, your fate is sealed. Unfortunately, no one gave me this warning when I was a kid. Maybe it was new, or perhaps there just weren't many survivors back then. Whatever the case, no one warned me. So when I went up, knocked on the door, and shouted, Trick or treat! I did not listen to the small doubt in the back of my mind that told me to run away. Now, every year, I have to go back to that living nightmare. After all, I'm on the expected guest list now. And if you don't show up at the haunted house on Halloween night, the house comes looking for you. And from what I've heard, it's much, much worse if you force its hand. The years have somewhat blurred together, but I still remember the first time all too well. I sometimes curse myself for not listening to my doubts when I walked up to that place. But, to be fair, as well decked out as this house was, any kid would expect a bag full of loot. The owner clearly went all out. There were realistic tombstones out front of open graves with the names like Timmy and John dated for that very day. Some people in spooky costumes carried body bags out to fill some of the graves as I walked up. 
I even remember wondering how often they pulled the bodies back out to repeat the show for trick-or-treaters like me. When you knock on the door, a man that I named the ringleader in my head opens the door and invites you inside. Any sane person would probably take one look at the guy, turn around, and walk away. He looked like someone stapled skin directly onto a skeleton with no thought of where muscular or fat should exist. His eyes looked like they were so loose in his sockets that if he leaned too far forward, they'd just fall out and roll around on the ground. His teeth were yellowed and broken enough to give any dentist nightmares for weeks to come. He wore a baggy, faded suit complete with long tails and a top hat. On your first visit, the ringleader will ask you the same question you probably heard a thousand times before. And what are you supposed to be? This is actually one of the few breaks the house gives you. You see, you get one benefit based on what you are. For example, if you say you're a pirate or a ninja, that cheap plastic sword you came in will become real. A dragon might actually get claws and scales and so on. At the time, you might think this is cool, but it's really just a chance for the house to make the game more sporting. And if you manage to survive, you'll be the same thing every time you return until you finally lose the game. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. What were you dressed as when you showed up? Honestly, I don't remember. This may seem like it doesn't make sense, but let me explain. You see, while the other kids around me were shouting things like, I'm a soldier, or I'm a princess, I just stood there, frozen in fear. The part of my brain that should have kept me from crossing that threshold finally kicked in, and I could tell that this man, no, this monster, was looking at all of us as though we were nothing more than slabs of meat. The funny thing is, everyone always talks about the fight-or-flight response, but many people fail to realize that there's a third option that your brain can pick to override your thought process, and that's freeze. So when the monster, literally wearing human skin, turned to me and asked, And what are you supposed to be? I froze. After a few seconds, he grinned and answered for me. I see we have a coward. At the time, my face burned in shame as the other kids in the room laughed at my new title, but that was the luckiest thing that could have ever happened to me. You see, over the years, I see fewer and fewer familiar faces coming out of the house when I show up for my run. In fact, I've only seen one other person I know in the last five years, but we'll get to him in a bit. Nowadays, when I show up, the ringleader checks me off his list and glowls when he says my title, The Coward, and I can't help but grin smugly at him. It's probably not wise to evoke the house that way, but in all these years, the ringleader has been unable to win our life-and-death game, and it's all thanks to the title he gave me. Like many haunted places, this house has some rules. Thankfully, it's not long and complicated lists designed to trip you up through sheer complexity. There are only three simple things you need to know. 
The first rule is the Wolfman is in the basement. This is important because despite how innocuous he sounds, the Wolfman is quite possibly the most dangerous obstacle the house has. He's immortal, insanely fast, and impossibly strong. Once he gets your scent, you just have to hope you're close enough to the basement stairs to climb them before he catches you. And if you're not fast enough, you're food. Most of my closest calls came from encounters with the wolfman. The second rule is to escape the house, you must find the heart of the house. The heart is in a different location every year, and no one will tell you where. You just have to find it, touch it, and get out. That is where being the coward comes in handy. My benefit is I get hunches. Those hunches might be about a new monster or a room you encounter. Best of all, they might tell me where the heart is located. The problem is, it's just a hunch, and it's far too easy to let my hopes or fears get in the way of a hunch. But over the years, I've learned to trust my gut. It's a lot smarter than I am. Oh, and the third rule? It's even more straightforward than the other two. If Mr. Hyde joins the hunt, everyone dies. That's it. You just have to hope and pray that Mr. Hyde decides to sit out another year. You can do a few things to mitigate that risk, but I'm getting ahead of myself. The rest of my first year was pretty forgetful, relatively speaking. There was some ghosts and zombies to run from, and the heart was in the kitchen. I don't even remember seeing any kids dying that time. But I do remember that while all the other kids were laughing and joking while running through the house, I noticed that the zombies looked just a little too real, and the blood and gore some of them had glistening on their lips looked like it might have belonged to those body bags out front. Maybe the house was taking pity on us because we were just kids. Or perhaps it wanted to let our fear simmer a little before it went all out. Over the following years, I saw some of those same kids again. But eventually, all their grins turned to grim, and their laughter disappeared. That's more or less what it was like for a few years. I ran through the house, got to the heart, and ran out. Once you reach the threshold and start leaving the yard, there's just one last obstacle. There, seen on a bench you never see when you're approaching the house, is a being of pure malevolence. He looks like an oversized man, with arms that are far too long for his body, and always has a grin that would be goofy if it weren't so evil. This is Mr. Hyde. You must look at and acknowledge him, usually with a head tilt. Then look away and pray he decides your fear is enough that year. One time I stared just a little too long and he stood up and followed me to the yard's edge. The whole time I could feel his hot breath on the back of my neck and I knew that so much as picking up the pace or turning around, I was dead. Another year, I saw him sitting there with a corpse in his lap. He shoved his hand through the back of its skull and was using it like a puppet to make a crude jokes and laughing at all the victims walking by. 
By then, I knew it wasn't just a prop, and I wondered what that poor soul had done to attract Mr. Hyde's attention. Maybe nothing. Perhaps it was just an unlucky day for the poor guy. I try not to think of Mr. Hyde too much. I get the feeling he knows when you're thinking about him, and I prefer not to attract too much of his attention. When I was 14, I made the biggest mistake of my life. My mom told me to take my little brother, not at the time, out trick-or-treating. No matter how much I protested or told her I had something important to do, she wouldn't relent. So eventually, I gave up and took him. Sure enough, the house showed up partway through our little venture. I remember looking my brother in the eye and telling him, Stay out here. I have to take care of something, and you don't want any part of it, okay? Of course, he nodded. When I got inside, the ringleader started checking us off the guest list. After I introduced myself as the coward, I still hated the title at the time, I heard an all-too-familiar voice say, I'm a wizard! Looking down in horror, I could see my kid brother standing there, grinning like the idiot he was. I tried protesting. No, no, no. He's not supposed to be here. Let him out right now. But the rain there grinned and answered, All are welcome in the haunted house. And the only way out is forward. He motioned us through. The first bit of our run was pretty standard. There were a few zombies that were easily dodged, and this time the heart was on the second floor. While climbing the stairs, giant spiders jumped down and grabbed people, then dragged them up into the rafters as they kicked and screamed. One came for my kid brother, but with a swift kick, it fell to the floor below. As the nightmare on eight legs started scuttling back up the stairs, we ran up and closed ourselves into the first room available. But of course, there's no such thing as a safe room in a haunted house like this. And sure enough, as we turned away from the door, we came face to mid-drift with a living shadow. It stood tall enough that it had to hunch over in a room more than big enough to house even the tallest NBA players comfortably. I call it a living shadow because its skin seems to absorb light, creating a void wherever it was. I remember it reaching out and grabbing me, and my skin burned from the extreme cold of its touch. But then my brother decided to take advantage of his gift, and I kid you not, he held out his hand like a finger gun and shouted, BANG! To this day, I have no idea how it worked or how he knew it would work, but the thing screamed and dropped me, clutching its arm like it had been shot. We kicked out the door, which thankfully slammed into the spider that had been chasing us, stunning it as we ran to the end of the hall, wherein lied the master bedroom and the heart of the house. The heart is a very literal heart, by the way, about the size of a large dog, usually visible through a crack in the wall. I've seen people stab it, shoot it, burn it, and do just about anything else you can think of. Yes, my brother had used his finger gun on it. And while the damage sometimes looks impressive, it always comes back the next year as if nothing happened. 
In this case, we merely tagged it and ran back into the hallway, vaulted the banister rather than trying the stairs again, and ran back out the entrance, home free. Of course, now our brother has to run the haunted house every year. We make it a point to go together, as between my coward hints and his magic finger guns, we seem to have a pretty strong advantage against whatever the house wants to throw at us. But that's not to say we don't have our close calls. Two years ago, the heart was in the basement. And you remember what's in the basement, don't you? For most veterans, the basement is the last place you look. Only after you clear the rest of the house. But when my gut says to go downstairs, that's where we go. It went pretty much like every trip downstairs goes. The place is filled with junk piled taller than me and smelled of cement, exposed carpentry, and mildew that many Midwest basements seem to have. The layout changes every year, so you're stuck kind of shuffling about, hoping you stumble into the right room without being caught, listening for screams and trying to go the other way. This time, we got to the heart without incident, which was good, but the wolfman started chasing us on the way out. As I broke into a run, I could hear the wolfman right behind me, but I figured I had just enough time to reach the stairs. And then I tripped. Falling in the basement is about a surefire death sentence as you get in the house. But sure enough, in half a moment, the wolfman was on me. I still have the scars from where he cut my arm up as I protected my face and throat. My only consolation then was at least my brother got away. However, not a moment later, the wolfman and I looked up in time to see my brother with both hands making his classic finger guns as he pointed it right at the wolfman's left eye and shouted, Bang! Let me tell you, Seeing a full-grown man making finger guns and yelling bang with a straight face is quite the spectacle. But you gotta do whatever you can to survive that place. Now, the wolfman might be immortal, but that apparently doesn't mean he doesn't feel pain. Because he sat down and screamed while holding his eye. I could see bits of his skull, white blood, and sub-substance leaking between his fingers. I didn't need an engraved invitation. I placed my foot square in the middle of his chest and kicked for everything I was worth. As the wolfman flew back, I rolled over and scrambled up the stairs on all fours like a kid who had just turned out the light. We both took a moment at the top of the basement stairs to laugh nervously before hearing an impossibly loud and enraged howl coming from the basement. We decided to not push our luck any longer and got the hell out of Dodge, winking at the ringleader and nodding more respectfully to Mr. Hyde as we passed. That brings us to last year when at least one of the rules got broken for the first time. My brother and I met up as usual. I smirked at the ringleader as he scoffed at my title. We got past the starting zombies quick enough. Seriously, who dies to those things? But then I got the feeling the heart was out back in the garden. I was just relieved it was in the basement as I didn't want to see the wolfman so soon after our last encounter. 
There was a glass passageway between the house and the garden, and this time it was filled with paper cranes flowing gently on an unseen current of air, many of which seemed to have tiny rubies glistening on their wings. Of course, nothing in the house is ever innocent, and as we started walking carefully through the passage, the cranes began swooping, and every time they passed by, their wings glide across the skin, giving nasty paper cuts. That's when I noticed several bodies on the ground with pools of blood around them, apparently death by a thousand cuts. Not having time to think, I raised my arms, covering my eyes and charging forward. By the time I reached the end, I probably had somewhere between 20 and 30 paper cuts, all of which stung worse than a bee sting. But remembering the bodies in the floor, it could have been much worse. What awaited us in the garden was a solitary figure. There, standing watch as if he had plucked right out of an old Japanese movie, was an honest-to-God, heavily armored samurai. His face was obscured by his mask, but I'm reasonably sure that if I pulled down the mask, the armor would have been hollow. However, looking at the bodies besides the samurai that had obviously been cut in two, I decided not to indulge my curiosity. Judging by the placement of the bodies, some had tried to fight and others had tried to run. My brother got ready to fight, and immediately the warrior's hand flew to his sword, but I placed a hand on my brother's shoulder and pulled him back, stepping forward to face the samurai myself. As the samurai slowly drew his blade, rather than fight or flee, I got down on my knees and bowed, deciding to acknowledge that there was little else we could do. Oh, great warrior, we beseech you, be merciful and let us pass. Yeah, it was a little flowery, I admit, but hey, when asking a ghost samurai to spare your life, sometimes you have to go all out. When, after a moment, he didn't cut me down, which I'm at least 45% sure was due to my actions and words, I motioned for my brother to do the same. After a few moments, the samurai sheathed his sword and returned to his vigil, and we got off our knees and passed by approaching the heart of the house. This time the heart was standing in a glass cylinder coming out of a rose bush. Carefully opening the cylinder, we touched the heart, which was warm and slimy as ever before turning to leave. However, just as we did so, there, coming out of the glass passageway, came the one thing I least wanted to see at that moment. The Wolfman. He looked a little different than I remember. Half his face was rotted away, leaving his skull exposed. He had maggots wiggling and writhing in the empty socket that had once housed his eye. His teeth and claws were covered in blood of whoever had been unfortunate enough to get between him and his goal. And judging by the glare on his soul-functioning eye, we were that goal. He stepped forward, crouching to begin his chase. Without the basement stairs nearby, I knew we didn't stand a chance to outrun him. Unsure what to do, I froze while my mind ran through what few options we had again and again. However, once again, my cowardice saved the day, 
As the wolfman charged forward, he was intercepted by the samurai. The sideways slash should have cut him in half, but the wolfman simply twisted and turned, bending his spine in a way that should have been impossible, before stopping to glare at his new obstacle. However, the samurai did not hesitate and stepped forward again, this time performing an upward slash even faster than his first strike. Realizing he wouldn't get past this annoyance without addressing it, the wolfman launched himself forward, latching on to his opponent. The two fell and grappled in the dirt, and we took the opportunity to run past. When the wolfman reached out to us, the samurai took his small blade and plunged it into the wolfman's side. Their combat resumed. Running through the passageway, all the paper cranes were mangled and torn, laying on the ground, no longer a threat. Once inside, we could see the zombies in the house all torn to pieces. Running to the entranceway, the ringleader was just plain missing. Then we were outside and free. We took a moment to catch our breath, but when I looked up to acknowledge Mr. Hyde, I realized he was also missing from his usual seat. Some screams always echoed out of the house, but not like this. The screams were tortured and often inhuman. They were also interposed without bouts of manic laughter. Looking at each other, we both nodded and decided to run. We could wait a year to find out what was happening behind us. And that brings us to this year. I don't know what awaits me at the haunted house this time. Maybe it won't even show up. But somehow, I doubt I'll be that lucky. Procrastination has always been my biggest weakness when it comes to cleaning, buying fly traps, making to-do lists. It seems like everything. To be fair, I wouldn't have those problems if I didn't procrastinate disposing of his body. And with that, our time together is coming to an end. I hope you enjoyed these spooky stories today. As always, I'd like to thank the writers who let me read their stories. If you're on a podcast platform that allows it, please leave me a review. I'd love to hear some feedback. If you'd like to help in other ways, I do have Patreon where you can get early access to these stories. But if you'd like to do a one-time donation, I do have PayPal and buy me a coffee. But of course, just sharing the podcast with anyone who might enjoy it helps quite a bit too. You also can check out the show notes to all my links, including the ones to my socials and websites. But as always, guys, thank you so much for listening. Sleep tight, and don't let 42 bite.